All right. Um, hey, folks. So uh, got a, a real treat for you guys today. I've got a friend of mine on, Ollie Jackson. Uh, we've been friends for years, and uh, he's a bodybuilder. He's a competitive bodybuilder. He's competed five times, three times in men's physique, twice in bodybuilding. That's what he currently does. He also holds down a full-time, very good job. He's in education, um, and he's in a relationship, and also has a dog. <laughs> so he's a busy guy. He's a productive guy. I wanted to just in, I wanted to talk with somebody who's a friend of mine from the bodybuilding space, but is a real dude with commitments. And I wanted us to have a conversation about bodybuilding and how we do it. So, um, Ollie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, mate. I think this might be time number four on this podcast now. Maybe time five. Something I think like so, that. Yeah. I think it, I think Ollie's been on a few times before on the on the podcast. So. This is going to be a little bit different because we're now on YouTube and this is going to be on YouTube and uh, my audience on YouTube is a little bit different since last time you've been on. So there'll be a lot of people who uh, aren't used to seeing you or know who you are. So I think I, okay. I would make for a great conversation. One of the guys was saying um, last week that he really wants more of just us talking about bodybuilding and how we do things. So um, I thought it'd be kind of, kind of cool. Um, so I'm going to start yeah, off with some that- leading questions. Yeah, I'm going to start with some leading questions. Uh, also, by the way, just to tell the audience, Ollie's in Australia, so there's a bit of a lag with with um, sound. So, um, just start with some leading questions. Um, bodybuilding. So, yeah, Ollie, um, with regards to your training, when is the last time you hit, say, a one rep max on a bench squat deadlift, or you did, say, a CrossFit kind of class, or you attempted to run like a marathon or whatever? Like, when's the last time you did any of that kind of crap? I. Uh... I understand what you mean exactly by leading questions now. Um, one rep max uh, would be on deadlift maybe three or four years ago. I tested it so I could do the is it the Ed Cohen um, deadlift routine? Oh yeah, so where it's specific yeah. to your max. Um, haven't run a marathon. I'll be honest. I did a one one kilometer run in lockdown because I thought I'd uh, give that a go. Uh, ended. <laughs> Very, very, very slowly. <laughs> and a CrossFit class, I actually did one at the start of the year. Not CrossFit. It's uh, basically weights for cardio um, as a bit of a challenge. And uh, it, it fucking hard, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, <laughs> um, but to, to answer the leading question, um, I don't do that sort of stupid shit very often, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I, I want to lead off with that just to because we're probably going to initially start talking about training. I'd like to go on to diet too, because it's a big part of it. But just to kind of make the point that neither of us, me or you, we're you're a competitive bodybuilder. I've not competed now for four years, but I, I probably will do at some point soon. Um, we don't do a great deal of additional stuff. Like our specialization is bodybuilding right now. Mine used to be powerlifting um, as well as strongman, and that's when my training was different. But right now. We pretty much just do bodybuilding training. Um, so, Ollie, what does what does a week look like for you for training? For training, um, I do. I've, I think you call it a six day split. Um, really simple, actually. It's four days training, two days on, one day off. So it's um, quads back, off, hams, glutes, and then push. Um, so quads and back are separate days, uh, obviously. Uh, off and then as I said hams glutes in a day and then push for the last day so that's a split 
around six days, but like to actually, we're talking on the right day. So it, it's because I am very busy. It, it alters sometimes. Sometimes I have to do three days on, two days off, which is exactly what I've done this week. So I did hams, glutes uh, Monday. Yesterday I did pull. Um, today I had to do quads because I can't train Thursday, Friday because I've got 16-hour days. Um, you technically could train, but do I want to train at 10 p.m. at night uh, when I've got another 16-hour day the day after? Probably not. So uh, extra training day today and hit PRs. So it can be done today. Um and then yeah, two rest days, and then I'll start the split again on Saturday. That's mm -hmm. um, I think that's the beauty of having a bit of flexibility with your training and um, not stressing about being optimal. Yeah. Now um, you mentioned your split there, and a lot of people will be a bit sort of confused by that split because most people in the world of YouTube are used to upper lowers, push pull legs, full bodies, body part splits. What you put together there showed a bit of overlap for certain areas and. Um, a bit of basically individualization. And I want to just point out, Ollie is a big dude. If you can't see from the camera, like his stage weight is, I think like 90 kilos. Yeah, yeah just under 90. Yeah. So just under 90, and he walks around about 100, 110 uh, for most of the year. So he's a big dude. Um, he's about my height, I think maybe a little taller. So yeah, he's a big guy. So, so at his level of advancement, the split is mostly individualized. It's mm. kind of like an upper lower, but mostly individualized to allow him focus on certain areas. Ollie's got enormous quads. He's like absolute quadzilla. So he's sort of emphasizing other areas to build those up. I know for the past couple of years, he's been on a Romanian deadlift kick with hamstrings and glutes has been a big part of his focus. So it just shows that at that level, there's a bit of individualization involved. I just wanted to point that out, but Ollie, could you kind of go through one of your days um, just to tell everyone, like, what, is a, what does a typical training session look like? Oh yeah, of course. Um, anyone in particular you want? Um, if we go over the push, because I think that'll be most familiar to most people, and I'll talk through after that what my push day looks like as well. Cool. Um, mine's really simple uh, because I struggled to grow chest years ago, so I learned to grow it very efficiently. Um, so I literally do six working sets of chest every week now. Um, well, every six days. So I'll do an incline movement um, at the moment. It's incline Smith in the rotation, and I'll keep that in until it really doesn't progress, and then I'll switch it to incline bench um, and vice versa. Then I'm doing uh, – so that's first exercise. I usually do a slightly higher rep week and then a slightly lower rep week, so 6 to 10, 10 to 15. Um, so, you know, pretty basic stuff. Exercise two is always a, a flat machine. I've got a really nice horizontal one at the, the gym I'm using. Um, and it's it's just perfect height. It's not too low that it's hitting your shoulders. And it's not too high that you're missing half the ch chest activation. And I'll, I'll do the, the exact same there, three sets. So that's the, your six sets. Then I'll do a lateral raise, whether it's um, almost always cable or machine. Um, not the biggest fan of the dumbbells just because my traps can overtake anything if I let them. So I find slow controls uh, have always worked well with me for machines. And that's a little higher rep. It's always 10 to 15, three or four sets. Uh, fourth exercise is always a press. At the moment, I'm doing it on a, on a machine. Um, uh, not, uh, I forget the, the word. So it's um, hands facing each other because yeah, yeah. um, I had a, 
I had a small rotator cuff um, sort of strain a few months ago, um, and I think it was from uh, that sort of shoulder press. So I've I've switched it, and it's so that's what feels comfortable at the moment. And then I'll do two tricep exercises, always one overhand overhead, um, and then some form of push down as well to sort of round that out. So six exercises. 18 sets-ish, 18 to 20 for the full workout. And that's probably the my longest workout of the week, to be honest. Everything else is less volume, less sets. That's very, very similar to how I set up things for a push day. So I'll have a couple of chest exercises, a couple of delt exercises. What with chest, because I'm quite tricep dominant um, in everything I do, and from being a powerlifter as well, um, I'll generally do one pressing exercise, one isolation chest, one pressing delt, one isolation delt. Then the way that I round out my push day is I actually only do one tricep exercise because my triceps get plenty of stimulus. And then I do the spare tricep exercise. I change that into another bicep exercise because my biceps are lagging. So there's a bit of indirect, going back to the first point we mentioned about individualization, there's a bit of individualization in both of our routines. I'm a lot more biased towards hamstring and bicep exercises, which I very much lag on in terms of my physique. So there's a, there's, a theme of that throughout my training. But in terms of the basic setup for what we do, it's very similar. My push day is almost identical. Um, in terms of my volume, I'll do more along the lines of about, if you look at it for a week, um, whereas you're doing about six sets for chest, I'll do around about um, a range of between anywhere between eight to 16. Usually start off on the low end and going up to the high end. That seems to work okay for me. It's about where I tap out. Um, now, if we look at sort of sets and reps, you mentioned about three or four sets. Um, how many of those, how close to failure are you going on those sets? Because I know I've seen you set up on a Smith machine and also on a power rack. So you've got the ability to fail. Do you mm. fail on all three of those sets? How do you, how'd you do it? How hard are we working? Um, it's close to failure. Um, probably I'd say by now I'm quite good at judging when I'll fail the next, when I'd fail the next rep. And that's usually where I go. So whether that technically counts as one R R I R um, or whatever the kids are calling it these days, um, possibly, but it's personal mechanical failure. The rep before that is yeah, is so like zero R I R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's for for working sets. And then obviously the first exercise, um, I warm up quite decently. I usually pick a weight, do five reps, a little bit up, five more reps, again and again and again. And then my first working set, I'll do one rep of that first and then start having a decent rest until the, the first working set. I like to, I do believe in getting a little bit of blood into the muscle. Um, and I also think you can feel, I found that when I started, I, I originally did sort of, you know, JP style training for a while. And I found that I wouldn't feel the first set that well unless I really warmed up properly um, and, you know, maybe got 30 reps in on lower weight. If you do his style where you do one rep, one rep, one rep, then, oh, shit, it's working set. Yeah, like your body doesn't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I completely agree. I mean, I, I went from bodybuilding, I went from powerlifting into a similar style of bodybuilding training. Like I did the JP stuff a little while back before I got into the high volume stuff, like in 2015. Uh, and coming from a powerlifting background, it made a lot of sense to me at the time because I did basically exactly what JP did, one or two reps to warm up, going up on deadlifts, and then you go to your main set. But I found with the level of volume that I was using and the exercises that I was trying, I was getting injured left, right, center. It just wasn't working. So, yeah, I like to pump my muscles up completely. And nowadays, I go more of a volume approach. 
So you know on those three sets, are they all to that zero RAR? Um, usually pretty much, yeah. Um, sometimes if I'm mentally working up to a set, I might leave a, a rep in um, reserve. So for example, if I'm touching a new weight for the first time on the, the last set, the, the second set I may not necessarily almost subconsciously sort of leave a little bit on the table um but it's not necessarily process planned or anything like that it kind of goes how i feel on the day yeah there's some fluidity involved like you want to be touching new poundages sometimes i, I think this is a really important thing because i don't think progression is always quite that simple i've talked about it on my channel before like you can progress not only in poundage but you can progress in other ways like you can take less rest between sets you can just clean the sets up like we used to call it owning the weights back when I was younger. Like you'd maybe, let's say you worked up to a hard set of, I don't know, five plates on the deadlifts for set of five. Let's say it was terrible. Over the next month, you can probably just clean that set up and make it like a smooth set of five. That's mm, progress. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot more fluid. I, I like that. I think it's worth pointing that out to people, particularly when you get to the point where you're out of the beginner stage, you're not going to be able to realistically see a concrete poundage gain every single week unless you're in a massive, you know, calorie surplus or whatever, or training is going very well. But in general, like you've got to be quite patient with that. I think it's worth pointing that out on, on that note, Ollie, in terms of patience, poundage added per se month or yeah, let's talk about our poundage added per month. What do you think is like a realistic rate of weight gain for somebody uh, once they pass the beginner stage? Not sorry, not uh, weight gain, weight on the lifts. Sorry. Weight on the lifts progression. Uh, that's a, it's a good question. Um, at the moment, obviously, I'm sort of four or five weeks out of retirement, so I am in almost like noob gain um, situation again. Where, like, for example, today I got two extra reps than last week on the hack squat, um, and they were definitely slower than last week because I filmed it last week, and it wasn't fast, but it wasn't slow either. So this time I mentally slowed down the reps especially the last rep as well because i'm a little bit sick um i think oh i think during like a bulking run if you were on like a bulking run sort of three four months um depending where you started off maybe sort of five ten percent on top might be a whole run might be quite realistic yeah for the yeah, whole run yeah like week to week i think yeah, for the whole run, yeah. Um, but obviously, completely depends on, well, everything, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that's pretty sensible. I guess one of the things that I kind of struggle with with just communicating to people is the the degree of progress once you're past the beginner stage, it, it can get quite slow. And part of a large part of what we talk about on YouTube is the re people get stuck at the intermediate phase because they've done the beginner stage, right? Where pretty much everything works. They've gained some weight. It's quite easy gains. Mm. But now at the intermediate stage, they want to carry on the easy gains because that's kind of what they expect, but they nothing it doesn't work. They also maybe have the wrong setup. They're maybe not working hard enough. There's a whole bunch of reasons where people, why, why people stay in that intermediate zone. It's all those guys we see in the gym who have been in that sort of like, you know, 80 kilo bench, two plate squat, two and a half plate squat kind of range for years and it never really progressed. And like, I think one of the things is just a, a lack of patience sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, 
in the intermediate stage, I think sometimes a little bit of focused progressive overload can um, can really help as well. So when when I was working with Alex, we and I was definitely intermediate stage. I just placed second in the in the under 80s and we both decided I needed to put a shed load of size on. Um, so the the program we used for about two years was um, there'll be a warm up exercise, which was still almost a failure on every workout. But the second exercise was the Hail Mary, like you must get an extra rep or an extra pound or like don't bother coming talking to me at the end of the day sort of thing. Um, that's sort of how we did it. And he sort of talks like around the the mental um, aspects of that. And for the, you know, the 12 week runs we did on that, uh, ev every single week there was a, a gain um, on, on the second exercise. So I think that's what we found really, really helped in the, the intermediate um, stage. As you said, when you get into advance, it, it, it might not necessarily work for everybody. Um, if you're built from steel and you're any hole, then yep, yeah, sure. Um, for the rest of us mere mortals <laughs> who do get strains and pulls, um, there's definitely other things you I want to rewind something you said there, which I don't want the audience to miss. You said you were on that routine for two years. So what, what do you think about people who are switching routines every six weeks because something's not working? That's another leading question. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the worst the worst thing you can do. It really is. Um I think when you plan out your off season, unless if you know what exercises work for you, you could probably plan out twelve to sixteen weeks with minimal changes. Oh, yeah. If you know for some reason you just can't progress on the incline dumbbell press and it's been six weeks or four weeks or something, then yeah, you can look at switching the exercise orders or, or switching it out. But if yeah, it's the, it's the worst thing you can do. Um, it's what everyone used to do, train on instinct back in the day. But I think 90, 95% of the program week to week needs to, needs to stay the same. Um, otherwise, how do you measure progress? If you're doing hack squat one week, pendulum the next, leg press for your first exercise the next, you really won't gauge progress, which is very important, as you mentioned, from intermediate onwards. You can't wing it anymore. No, you can't exactly, you can't wing it. And I think the other thing that's really important is if you do change your routine and you just automatically point the blame at the routine, well, we're not, we're not looking at the rest of the factors. Cause I imagine over the course of those two years, like, well, I mean, again, it's a leading question. I know that Ollie's nutrition is on point. And I imagine that over the course of those first two years, a large part of what he was doing was adjusting food, sleep, recovery factors, just refining all the things that go into being a bodybuilder. And, Honestly, guys, that's kind of what I bought, but why I bought Ollie on. I wanted to have a nice two-way conversation for you guys to talk to see how do two bodybuilders actually think? Where do we place the focus? And you'll notice that so far there's not been a lot of actual emphasis placed on the routine matters or mm -hmm. the exercises matter or the sets and reps matter. None of that really matters. Like working hard matters. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, once you're in a routine and you're working pretty hard, you're in a you know a decent routine with some good um, principles and you're applying progressive overload, a lot of that is just adapting the diet afterwards and really making sure that's honed in so you're actually gaining some weight. Um, yeah, that's, that's a large part of why I see is I think people need to reevaluate their, their, their thing. Why do you think some people, so many people focus on the routine as being the cause of the problem, not other factors? Much easier to blame the routine than yourself. 
to be honest. And I think people get bored, um, whether it's the, I mean, uh, uh, I'm going to sound like an old man here at 29, but not to blame like the Instagram generation, but like doing all these fancy exercises and everything has to look good for Instagram and this, that, the other, um, all the best people to follow on Instagram, they all, they all say the exact same thing that the, any fluffy exercises they post just to get some likes, but 90% of what they do is, you know, it's boring as fuck. It's hack squat yet again, every week, you know, it's dumbbell rows yet again, every week. It's not, it's not sexy. Um, like the day-to-day -day grind of the bot of bodybuilding it, it isn't sexy. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, that's. Uh, like, well, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess your breakfast has pretty much almost maybe looked the same for the last like four weeks. I'm gonna guess, like with some variation. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, that's it. Yeah. I have a I have a busy breakfast, or I've got a time breakfast. Um, that, that's, <laughs> <it>. um, <laughs> that's but yeah. So tomorrow morning, I'm on site at seven a.m. Uh, so it's the easy breakfast. Uh, yesterday, uh, I was on site at eight thirty, so I took my time and had the steak. It's uh, it's that that's the the difference between mine. And in terms of your day to day meals, like how much, I know you've got a set menu, so you have like in fact, let, well, we won't talk too much about meals just yet because I still want to keep on training. But I, I know in terms of your day to day meals, they're pretty consistent throughout, and it's the same with me too. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um... 95% of the food is the same most days. Um, might change the order, depending on what I feel like. Um, always like to have the same sort of pre-workout meal, but other than that, it's um, all quite similar. So what we're gonna, what I'm gonna do now is I just wanna throw some quick fire questions at you, which are gonna be, they're like, they're like YouTube classics, basically. And I want, and I know you're not a YouTube guy, so I kind of want your opinion on it. So YouTube people can see, okay, what is this guy? He's a real bodybuilder. This is what I like. I like try and do on my channel only, is because you know we we come from a bodybuilding lifting background. I want people to see what we're about. So, just if I was to throw a question at you, and I know you get the context, um, intensity versus volume, like you know Dorian versus Flex, whatever. Like, what is your take on that in the grand scheme of things? How important is it? Um, unless you're going for your pro card um, or upper elite um really doesn't particularly matter but both will work um both will get you to the intermediate stage if you've got terrible genetics then yeah maybe we need to look at which one works for you but um your average joe is going to get pretty far on on either um to be frank and let's say one is more optimal than the other um one will be 100 optimal the other will be 96 percent. so 95%. So like, I mean, let's put that into numbers because I'm a management consultant and everything is data and numbers. You put on 10 pounds using one routine, you'll put on 9.5 pounds using the other one. Um, if that's the, the real numbers. So the, the answer to that question is do which one you enjoy, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of sort of like zealotry about that on and a lot of discussion. It's the, it's the kind of topics that when I make a video about intensity versus volume, it gets a lot of hits. And it's something mm. that people really put a lot of focus on. So here's another one for you. Um, train to failure versus not train to failure. What's your take on the whole thing? Like, what do you do and what's your take on the whole thing? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think training to failure or almost failure, but 
I mean, I think it just needs to be, I think intense uh, needs is, is the right word. So if you need to train to absolute failure in order to progressively overload, then yes. But if you can train to one or two reps in reserve um, and you're progressively overloading over time, then, then that's fine too. I know some people with some exercises, if they hit the first one to failure, the next two sets drop off. If that's you, then you don't take that first one to absolute failure. Like for me with chin-ups, if my first set of chin-ups is to absolute failure, my next two sets uh, are awful. So instead of doing 12, 9, and then 6, I'll do 10, 10, 10, which is more overall reps. Um, so, yeah. But. Yeah, I'm, it's something that I'm guilty of. I like to, I, I like to do more volume. But I find that if I go to failure or I push the first set too hard, it just ruins me for the rest of it. Um, now, I think there's always going to be rep drop-off if you're working closer to sort of zero to one RAR. But in some cases, like Ollie's pointed out with chins, maybe that's something you're not doing. But I think in general, I promote working about one or two reps from reserve. But um, I think that's still very hard training. I think, you know, it's still only like maybe one rep away from the real true blood. Oh, 100%. Training. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest problem probably mm. comes from the the misinterpretation that everyone's just training hard when they're probably not. And so if they attempt to do two RR, maybe they're more like eight. Um, and I think that's a big problem. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, but this is the problem with definitions, isn't it? I think I think if you saw me or Ollie train, and we've trained together before, like you 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 wouldn't necessarily think, okay, they're holding back, but it's some good hard effective training. And I suppose the biggest shit test of all that is, are we gaining? Are we gaining from week to week? Are we doing what we need to do? I think that's, that's good. But yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's necessarily a massively important thing. I do talk about RAR quite a lot on my channel and the whole idea of having rep drop-off. So if you do hit 12 on the first one, you're probably going to get more like eight and then more like five. But I talk about that as a way of ensuring that people know if they're training hard enough, if you get what I'm saying. So like, if you are getting a rep drop-off, then you can be pretty certain you're training hard enough. If you're not getting a rep drop off, then you're either you're you're definitely uh, pulling back on that first set, whether you're doing it knowingly, like Ollie said with this example of chins, or and that's fine. But if you're doing it unknowingly and you think you're working hard and you're getting like 10, 10, 10, then I guess we could we could maybe question that. And that's really what I'm about. So I just wanted to clarify that because I think I know people will be thinking, yeah, Ollie's just said 10, 10, 10. Fast says don't do that. But but like I think there's it's a case of being aware. Like if you, if you're sat there thinking I'm working really hard, but you're not doing that for a particular reason, then, you know, it's something to look at. And it, it, it caused a lot of, um, of a stir amongst my audience, actually, that video, because I think it, it got people really thinking like, okay, am I actually working hard enough or not? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good point. I think maybe for a beginner, you almost put them to failure, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. That way they can learn what failure is. Um, what true failure as you said if someone thinks they're doing two or three reps um in reserve and like you think they could get another 10 out like that's where that's where you'll have a problem um so i mean i think that's why like these days training videos sending over to coaches is is huge um and i'm 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 quite happy that coaching is going that way rather than sending people uh 10 items drug list they're asking for three or four videos every week of the training which is it's the better way to go absolutely yeah definitely so let's think of another like quick fire training question what about uh training frequency um 
what are your thoughts on training frequency for like body parts? Because yours is well, yours is individualized. Um, mm. So maybe talk a bit about your experience, but also general thoughts. Um, like once a week, twice a week, but have both worked for me. Um, I think, I think it is very individualized, but I think both will work. So some people will have a couple of body parts which don't recover well, um, and then they'll have they'll be able to train biceps to failure four times a week or something like that. So over time, you can probably cater something a little bit close to yourself. In general, I I, I kind of don't think it matters as long as you're recovering. Um, like I made most of what I do is once, well, it's once every six days now, but it's always been roughly once a week. Maybe I do twice a week on a weak body part. But um, I did years of push-pull legs, um, three on, one off. Um, and I got very strong doing that, to be honest. Mm. And that was, that was fully natty as well. So I think one liner takeaway both work depends what you depends what you enjoy some people love doing 15 sets of chest and having some mad pump um others don't they'd rather just do they get bored so they'd rather do six sets twice a week or whatever it is um yeah i, I think that's a good point i mean just just one thing before we, i wanted to ask you about weak body parts one thing with regards to volume like what i've always found is with the body part splits I mean, if you think, if you look at what Ollie's doing, he's doing a body part split, but he's not doing exactly exactly very high volume, and I think that's probably the best way to do a body part split. I think at a certain point in the session, if you are getting up past like the ten set mark, and there there is a hard set, I think there's going to be a pretty steep drop off in how effective your training session is going to be for that body part. You reckon? Yeah, hundred percent. Like with back, I know I can do twelve, and then there's a serious drop off. So what I do is I do 12 and then I do one or two, uh, um, what do you call them? The rack chins that um, kind of like chin-ups, but you're yeah, right. Yeah. And then I do one or two sets of those because they're body weight. You can do 15 reps and I can feel the whole back working. That probably grows zero muscle, that one exercise I'm doing, but it's kind of like a little, little check um, that I kind of do that I know those 12 sets have been hard enough. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, so that in general, I kind of prefer to put most of my clients on. If they're working at four days a week, it's usually up or lower. And it's for that reason. Because I think you're going to be quite limited as to the quality of your sets. If you're doing, if, if you've got a regular guy, he's doing, say, 12 sets per body part, 15 sets per body part. To get all that into one session, it's, it's going to be different. The latter few sets are really going to fall off. I think if you're fairly advanced and you have the ability to grind through that session, maybe there's a call for, say, okay, you could do a little more volume in one session. And Ollie's an advanced guy, and a lot of pro bodybuilders tend to be more advanced. So on that side of things, perhaps they've got the physical fortitude to push through and do a whole session on the back or a whole session on chest. I think for the majority of people that I work with, the upper-lower split routines, maybe push-pull legs, maybe even full body, depending on how it's put together, is quite a decent way mm -hmm. of doing things because the set quality remains quite high. You're always getting those first five fresh sets on every body part. And that's one of the advantages that I find of like things something like an upper lower or, or a push pull legs. Right now, I'm doing between four to eight sets of any body part per session. And for me, that's great because it's, it's a nice amount. Eight sets, I'm pretty tapped out. If everything's like close to failure, pretty high volume, four sets, it's, everything feels really fresh. And that's four sets usually between two exercises. So yeah, with, with frequency, I think it's more a case of volume. Like it's a case of effective volume. If you get to a point where 
the volume is becoming like more like junk volume, you've got to split it up. So firstly, like, what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, I wanted to talk to you about weak body parts and, and your technique for addressing those. Um, first point, I completely agree with you. If I woke up tomorrow and I was 15 years younger, starting again, I'd do four days a week, upper lower for years and years and years. Um, that's unfortunately not what I did when I started. I did six days a week of chest, quads, biceps, shoulders <laughs> um, for about a year. It's why I've got quads, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I've got quads. <laughs> um, and then to answer your other question on um, body part weaknesses, uh, I think you need to learn to train the, the muscle group, which can take years. Um, so like, like example on myself, chest was a weakness. Yeah, you never guess it these days. Um, chest was a weakness uh, after two or three years of training. I just didn't. I don't know what was activating. I don't remember, but definitely wasn't chest. Um, and yeah. I had to relearn how to activate it. These days, I could probably do two push-ups and I'd have a chest bump because it um, yeah. automatically um, activates. Um, my weakness these days is back, which I think, I mean, I think it's a structural thing that people have weak backs. Um, uh for a whole, whole host of different reasons I won't bore you with. I have learned to activate it a lot better recently. And um, yeah, there's about a billion things I could say on that. But um, I think it's learning to train it properly um, is... Yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry. On, sorry. Um, yeah, with I, I agree on the point, learning to train it properly, I think it's the first point of call. But with regards to the back structure, uh, do you mean by sort of its insertions and attachments and things like that? Yeah, I think that, but I, th I think there's something to do with human anatomy. Um, so, you know uh, how a lot of Asian bodybuilders, they have fantastic quads, but they all have uh, weaker lats. Um, and that's a, that's very, very common mm -hmm. among amongst that race. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think there's, there's something there around uh, how skeletons are built or how it all works. I know for me, when I'm more flexible, when I've got less body fat on me, um, I can train back uh, a lot easier, get a lot better pumps. Um, so I think there's yeah. something to that as well. Um, mm. But yeah, no, that's, that's interesting about that. Actually, I, I'm the same way. Back is one of the first. Like right now, I'm getting. I don't know. So and all of a sudden, back just <laughs> tends to blow up. It's great. But um, yeah, no, interesting discussion on that. I guess I wanted to take it back to the first point. So with weak weak point training, because this is a it's a good point for a segment. I think the first point of call is definitely prioritize how to train it. I think that's important, and it can take a long time to really develop that connection. What we're talking about when we're talking about learning how to train it is, it's not just a case of moving weight. I think once you're past that initial stage where okay, you've got your bench to two plates, three plates, whatever it is, at that stage. You've got to learn to move the weight correctly. It can't just be bounced. It can't just be powered up. It's got to, you are, you've got to actually feel that you've got to target the right muscle group. And I don't want anyone to think we're trying to isolate the chest with a bench press because that's not how it's done. We're trying to just emphasize the chest a little bit more with a bench press. I think that's a better way of putting it. So I think that's the first point of call. Second point of call, I think, and I think Ollie would agree because this is what he does, is slightly higher frequency. 
And I've got a theory behind this. I think if you've eliminated the um, potential of bad form, then the weak body part is probably a weak body part because structurally it's not as solid. And so it can't take that heavy amount of loading per session. So you need to split it up to accumulate more volume. Like I'll give you my biceps as an example. Whatever I do to my biceps, they just don't take on that much damage. They don't have such a sick pump. There's just not a great connection there. There's not much disruption. I can train my bicep four to six times a week and they won't be excessively sore. They'll just start to get sore if I'm training them four times a week. So I need to really up the frequency because in any one session, they don't take on much damage. Whereas my chest, my back, my quads, they take on damage and my triceps take on damage pretty much no matter what I do. And that's, they are my dominant body parts. So I think there's a, I think there's a thing to do with like both structurally, but also the mind muscle connection on those body parts. I think it's the thing. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I, th I think some of it is genetic. Um, and I think for gen pop, it to some extent probably doesn't matter as much. I think it's when you more get to the intermediate stage which is where your individualization comes to. And, you know, that could be anything. It could be doing a couple of a, a bicep exercise at the end of one of your leg days for extra volume. Um, it could be uh, every other chest workout, you do a shoulder exercise first. Um, for me, I do one hamstring exercise on my quad day, uh, which feels great on my knees for when I hit quads afterwards, uh, for example. Um, so the, there's definitely a bit of individualization um, that comes to that. But I think there's de definitely some nuances in form that you learn over time, like uh, lion leg curl, don't hold the the bottom of the machine, do more of sort of a plank, so your lower back and glutes are completely taken out of it. Like most people don't, and I do it single leg, but most people don't learn that for years and years and years. So I think rather than pumping up the volume, um, really look at form as a as a starting point for weak body parts and get someone, whether it's a coach, great, or someone with more experience than you um, to look at you. You, If you don't know your weak body parts, it could be, you know, the bodybuilding judges from a show or, or whatever it is. Um, because over time, weak body parts can cause injuries as well. So it is quite it can be quite important yeah i've i've i found that with um with leg curls you gave that example it's a great one i find if i drive my hips down into the bench i get better sort of it's kind of like it's a different way of describing what you're saying um so rather mm. than if you sort of arch your ass up you're just not getting the right connection but yeah it's these yeah. little nuances what i've tried to do is i've tried to video my lifts now every pretty much this entire little run that i've had for the past four weeks and um, it's, it's, I do it because it's easy content, like it's Instagram, whatever, right? It's easy, but it's easy content. But also it generates quite a lot of discussion. People like to know how I'm doing things. So that's another thing you can do. Just watch bodybuilders who, who you think know what they're doing and have a look at the nuances, ask questions. I think that's a great thing to do. So yeah, for sure. Um, Ollie, I wanted to kind of move it on to diet because that's probably the next big thing and spend some time talking about diet. So, all right. If we go through, I'm going to kick off with some some hot topics, all right? Because mm. I think it would be good to get our perspective on the hot topics because that's what people are interested in. Firstly, let's go with, um, all right, let's go with uh, 
the basic protein intake. What, what are your thoughts on optimal protein intake when you're bulking versus when you're cutting and, and maybe why? Let's start with, say, bulking. Um, I think you can get away with slightly less when you're bulking uh, just because of basic um, physiological aspects. Um, like if your carbs are sky high, your protein doesn't need to be. And equally, when you're in a deficit, you want your protein a little bit higher um, to help uh, with muscle loss and, and all that sort of good stuff. So me personally, so I currently weigh 102 kilos, which is 230 pounds. And I'm eating between 250 and 260 grams a day. So that's roughly a smidge over one pound um of body weight or in kilos uh just a like just two 2.2 something like that um so i think that and that's more than enough uh i've always been a, a higher protein person just because uh, i i eat i eat food food so like I, when i have five meals like one of my meals isn't cream of rice uh with whey personally it's a lot a lot of meat a lot of fish a lot of eggs so the higher protein work works for me personally. Um, but for example, if you had a lot of gut issues, you might stay on the, the lower end of high protein, if that sort of makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty similar to yourself. I think I prioritize whole foods as much as possible. And I do that with my Gen Pop clients too. Just like regular folk, try and have as much regular food as you can. Now with the regular food, with the carbs and whatever else, you're going to have some incidental protein in there as well. And I think that's what Ollie's getting. I mean, he's getting 250 grams, 260 grams of protein. Probably 40, 50 grams of that is incidental coming from like the rice, mm -hmm. potatoes, all that kind of stuff. So looking at it, it's it, it's a good amount of protein intake for sure. And it all contributes. Ollie, Ollie likes it higher. I personally, myself, I like it higher protein as well. But I also say that I would recommend what we, the scientific, in the scientific circles, they say it's something like 0.8 grams per pound. Yeah. So like for me, that'd be 150 grams of protein. But my point with that all is like, I know that if I was eating 150 grams of protein, I wouldn't be satisfied. It's just not a very nice day. It's just not enough protein to make me feel full. I would like, it's a great tactic if you're struggling to gain weight, you know, lower your protein, increase your carbs and your fats. But I think for the average person who comes to me, unless they've got a real hard time gaining weight, and most people who come to me don't have troubles gaining weight, they have trouble gaining weight at a reasonable rate or you know losing weight it's probably a good idea to put that protein intake up and as as all well actually we'll talk about dieting first so cut for cutting ollie what are your recommendations and I'll, I'll share what i've been doing uh for protein yeah just for um probably yeah probably a smidge higher so best part of 300 grams but towards the end of a prep it might come down just because calories need to come down not necessarily protein it's going to come from somewhere um some i don't i don't necessarily do the percentages because but it'd be like 1.2 to 1.25 um yeah. grams per per pound i'm just gonna, roughly, I'm just gonna roughly your, roughly, sorry i was just gonna ask roughly for your what are your overall calories at that point i just wanted to compare protein versus overall calories oh okay um i'd start a prep at maybe 3.2 or 3.4 thousand uh k cal uh thousand calories um yeah. and then it would come down all the way to to two maybe 2.2 2. 
Um, and protein will probably come down like 10% during that time. So to put that in perspective, food comes down 33%, protein will come down 10% of that. So everything is really coming from um, mostly carbs. Fats come down a little, but I'm a higher carb guy when I bulk. Um, and the, the fats always stay between, you know, 50, 80, something like that on the on the way down as well. Yeah, I wanted to point that out about the percentage because something that I've noticed with my own training and my coaching is if I keep somebody's protein intake as a total of their overall calories at about that 40%, appetite is a lot more manageable. Like formerly fat guys, you put their protein intake at 40%, now all of a sudden they have trouble eating food. And they're like, look, boss, this is way too much food. And that, that's a good position to be in. I've actually had people come back to me and say, this is guys who have trouble eating, who, who like binge on a weekend or whatever. They come back to me and say, it's too much food. I'm not sure I can eat that. Like, sure, and My reply is always, surely that's a good thing. Like, that's what we're trying to do, right? Yeah, it, it, I, think, I think it's really important. So <laughs> me personally, um, I'm currently on 270 grams of protein. I'm dieting right now. Currently on 270 grams of protein at a body weight of 180, about 180-ish, I think 182. Uh, pounds. So I don't know what that is in grams per pound, but it's a buttload of protein, basically. But my appetite is zilch. I'm fine. I'm in a position where I could miss a meal or two during the course of the day, and I don't worry. Like, and that's me. Like, I'm a chronic overeater. But like, mm-hmm. part of switching to bodybuilding has been this massive switch towards a more of a bodybuilding way of doing things, and it's made my life so much easier. But on, on that note, Ollie, um, the disparity between what science says is the minimal needed versus what's best in reality is quite a gap, isn't there? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And once again, it um, depends on a shitload of things. Um, so if you're advanced and you're running everything under the sun, you will absorb a lot more protein. So you might as well eat more. If you're a beginner, like I would never tell you to eat low protein, but if it was a little bit lower, you'd probably still gain almost the the exact amount. Once again, going back to my optimal talk that I always talk about, um, if you're slightly off, you know, you might be 95% optimal, which over time, like you'd rather someone was 95% of the way there all the time, rather than, you know, 100% there six months of the year, for example. Um, So I think there will be some... uh, definitely individuality um to this sort of approach yeah for sure love it um i wanted to go on to another quickfire question which is probably going to benefit people quite heavily as well is this whole idea behind both meal meal structure for meal timing and also nutrient like meal how many meals per day basically when to have those meals and also nutrient timing. So just to kind of kickstart this, this is what I'm currently doing. So I'm having five meals a day, plus on workout days, I'm having a intra-workout. So it's five meals a day with roughly 50 plus grams of protein every meal. So I'm essentially eating around the clock. Um, eight o'clock, 11, two, five, eight, right? Which for me is a lot of food all throughout the day, pretty much, with a bit of space in the morning, right? And a bit of space before bed. Um, Plenty of protein. Now, I'm finding with that consistent amount of protein around the clock, I don't feel that any one meal is overwhelming me in terms of, like, I don't feel sluggish. I don't feel tired. 
I feel like those are satisfying meals because they're anywhere between four to 500 calories. So they're not massive meals, but they're satisfying because I'm eating so often. And protein's high, and I feel pretty good on that amount. Um, I personally feel it's the best way to run things for me. Could you speak on what you do? And then also, let's both dig into like the fasting literature as well. Hmm. Uh, to be honest, I do the exact same as you. Um, <laughs> I always, I'm always a five meal uh, a day person. I have been for a long time, and I always aim for fifty to sixty grams um, of protein. And that's just because when I cook meat, it's always two hundred fifty grams because I buy a kilo at a time and I split it into four meals. Um, save time. I'm sure we'll cover that later. Um, and that's that's just how it works. If and I think that works perfectly for me. If I'm super busy at work, which I am, uh, I can still squeeze meals in. Uh, I can work and eat at the same time. I've got very good at typing uh, with one hand and eating with the other. It's um, it doesn't take long to wait for three minutes uh, for the microwave to go. Um, so I mean, I can do that. But if I miss a meal, um, the meals are at this point still small enough that you could eat one an hour away or double up or whatever it needs to be. And I think if it happens once or twice, it's really not a big issue. If you're peak off season and you're caning the food in, yeah, that'll be hard if you're missing meals and trying to get them in. Equally, if you're two weeks out from a show and starving, once again, that might be an issue. But for 98% of the year and probably 100% of most of the listeners here, it's absolutely fine if the time of the meal is is about uh, a little bit off um in my personal opinion yeah love it fantastic one of the things i talk about with um meal timing and kind of just the options surrounding nutrition is sort of this whole idea of doing what's best for you in the now versus doing what's best for you for your goals and a lot of the way that i set up my diet with the high protein with the eating around the clock which is slightly less convenient than let's face it eating one or two meals at night I do this because I'm setting up to conquer my goals. Like I know today I'm going to have five meals. Today's going to be a hundred percent win for me because this week's going to be a win. And if this week's a win, that means four weeks of my diet, I've been a hundred percent adherence. And now I've got 16 weeks to go. So I, I'm sure it's the same with you. Like you don't think about it every day, but you just know you just, every meal needs to be done right, ticked off. And so I want to just go into that and make that point because a lot of my dietary options, they're not always set up for, me having the best 2 p.m. meal on a Wednesday afternoon, like the most banquet gourmet meal, because I don't give a flying F. Like it's a right now, it's a Wednesday afternoon. We're recording this. Like my next meal in an hour's time is going to be chicken and veg because I don't care. Like it just get it's going to get me to my goal. And it's a Wednesday afternoon. How much fun do I need to have on a Wednesday mm. afternoon? Like it, you know, I'm just trying to say not every meal needs to be a banger. It, like, kind of like that's kind of my message what, what what do you think about that oh yeah i completely agree um day to day as i am pretty busy uh i couldn't tell you what meal four tasted like today i couldn't tell you what meal three tasted like um i just had steak and low-fat fries which i remember it was very nice um but when you're busy during the day um don't think it matters whatsoever. 
and you'll find when you diet food starts to taste a lot better anyway so that almost takes out the uh, equation i don't know if you've ever eaten food during a diet and you think fucking hell this is nice then you eat the same thing a week into your off season and it tastes like absolute garbage like, uh, quick example like um uh, during one of my preps, um, I could squeeze like a, a quest bar into my diet every couple of days um, into the macros. And I did that. And the the chocolate one or whatever it was, it was 100 calories and tasted really good at the time. I had one about five days post-show and absolute trash. I couldn't believe that we used to look forward to that every single day. Um, so to answer your question, if you're hungry, or busy i don't think it really matters um i think once again off season when you kind of don't want to eat as much and you're really getting towards that that hard end which to be honest a lot of the listeners probably won't get to that extreme um that's when it becomes harder but to be honest at that stage like no food tastes good um you could have a you know a triple cheeseburger from McDonald's and that that wouldn't taste particularly good. That would just ruin your next three meals as well. So there's, you know, um, I'm I mean I'm quite good at cooking tasty chicken these days. Uh, I've got the spices and everything uh, down pat after all the years, and I know how to switch it up. But um, I think day to day, you if you can make these sort of meals quite efficiently um, and just get them in. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily a food is fuel person. There's a bit more to life than that, yeah. but it, it is, it, that is 90% of the way, I think. 100%, yeah. I, they call it uh, nutrition periodization, just like having the appropriate nutrition for different phases you're in. But I think what Ollie said at the end there is absolutely key, and I just want to highlight that N neither of us, nor me, nor Ollie, are trying to make out that we're just machines and it's just, you know, <laughs> you know food is my fuel, kind of like that cringe. It's not like that. The, mm. the food's got to taste good. All we're saying is we don't need a party in our mouth like just every Thursday night. It's just, it's not, it's not that serious. Like there are other things to get pleasure from in life. So yeah, that's the kind of point I make. And it's, it's kind of the thing that I like to talk about with a lot of clients because another thing that Ollie said there is really good. If you carry on and insist on eating all these fancy foods, your palate will get so like dulled it will just, you will need to have all this like really crazy food for even to taste anything. And I did that when I came out of powerlifting, just having regular chicken, rice and vegetables tasted horrendous. And I do think that's where a small percentage of my clients who come to me for the first time are looking at these meals and going, whoa, I can't eat this. Like, and it's like, it's like a guy who's addicted to porn, you know, and like he just needs really <laughs> extreme stuff to get off. <laughs> Like, the solution is not to get more extreme. The solution is to calm this shit down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you uh, you've got a bad case of uh, porn remorse, um, like remorse afterwards, that's uh, that's when you know. <laughs> we we got to shut the browser down. That's too much time out. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah I, I think that's I think that's an awesome point. And I, I've talked about that on this channel before, so I wanted to highlight that because I think what you said there was really good. Um, so the last note, because we're coming to the hour mark, is I want to talk about ease, again, about practical stuff, right? Now, I prep pretty much all my foods except for once a week I have a free meal. That has made a massive difference in my life. Like, I prep everything. 
and I also have a fairly limited range of choices. So I've got my potatoes prepped, my rice prepped, my vegetables, my meat, and that's pretty much what I eat. For breakfast, I have my um, Greek yogurt and whey mix thing that I do with honey and um, nuts. Apart from that, that's my, that's my day. It's, it's fairly basic. Um, can we just have a bit of a talk about the importance of, of being prepared when it comes to your food? Because we are all busy people. We lead busy lives. And neither of us have kids, but it'd be even more important if you've got kids and you've got, as well as all the rest of your responsibilities, the importance of actually being prepared. What, what do you think? Let's just talk about that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, like, if I don't think I've ever had meal prep prepped and then eaten off plan if it wasn't planned, if that sort of makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you leave the cooking till last minute, and there's an option to, you know, get something that's a little bit easier. Um, it's a lot easier to make that choice. So for me personally, um, I prep the meat, um, veg every day, but quite quick. Uh, I fry the chicken at the same time as I fry my beef. And then as the pan's cooling down and I've taken the meat out of it, I put the veg in, um, still got the sauce and then put those into the containers most of my carbs uh like microwave rice microwave potato that sort of stuff or easy to eat stuff on the go and then that's everything so that's all my food for one day prepped in like 10 15 minutes and then i usually cook a steak uh for dinner um from scratch and luckily i like that rare so it probably takes about a minute in the pan <laughs> um but to, i mean to highlight your point yeah it's very, very important. And it's probably the thing that we probably don't realize it because we're so far deep, but it's probably one of the most daunting things, um, uh, you know, prepping you know, 30 meals or whatever the hell it is or whatever, however you, but you just got to work out the the best way that works for you. Like I like my stuff fresh. So I, I spend 15 minutes every day doing it for the next day. Some people will do two hours for the entire week and that's better for them. And, you know, that's great. Um, I guess you just have to sort of find what what works for you. You you've just got to do it. I think I think you prep individual meals right for the day. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I have um, I'll have a container of the two meats and then a container with the veg, and I can eyeball a quarter of each for for each meal, and then I just add a carb sauce. So it's quite um quite simple. So actually, yeah, Ollie does it in a very similar way to to what I do. So I was going to highlight there's probably two ways of doing it. So. I'll do the same thing as Ollie. I'll just cook up a whole batch. I mean, I cook it for longer periods, so I'll cook like five kilos of chicken for like nine days. But the principle is the same. We'll cook each item separately and then put it together for a meal. The other way of doing things is if you prep just a full meal and put that in its own container and take that out. I've done it both ways. Um, I think I prefer the way that I do it now, the same as Ollie. Just prep individual food items and then pick and choose the, the amounts based on either weighing them out or eyeballing them like Ollie does. That's a good way. I find it's an easier way of doing things. I think when it comes to um, the other way, prepping individual meals, that works. It's fine. Maybe it's good if, you've, if you want to batch load and batch prep a few, like for a week. Um, I think it's kind of cool. So you can prep an entire 20 meals, like, you know, for the next week or so. That's okay. But I think, again, like you were saying, just you got to find what works for you. Either of those things work. But the point is, as long as you're prepped. Yeah, no, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think when you're off season, it's nice to have a little bit of variety. So the way we do it is best. 
Um, personally, I'm sort of anal and OCD towards like the last eight weeks of prep. So you best believe like every meal is like fucking perfectly prepared. And um, I'm and that's the only time I'm actually thinking about food, to be honest. Like as soon as yeah. you finish, you're right, right. T two and a half, two and a half hours. And there we go. But right. now whilst it's more, you know, flexible and you just getting the macros in day to day, um, our approach right now is that what, that's what works best for me. As I said before, because I like to switch up my order um, of meals throughout the day, depending on what I feel like. If I'm not that hungry, I know I'll eat um, rice instead of potatoes. Um, only prerequisite I usually have is I have a, a light meat and rice pre-workout. That's the only like definite constant I keep to, to be honest. That's what I do as well. <laughs> so chicken rice before <laughs> workouts, yep, same thing. It is scary really similar how, how similar our diets are. But um, yeah, I mean, this is it. A lot of what you guys see online in terms of, you know, if it fits your macros approaches and flexible dieting and everyone's famous cookbook, like a lot of that is stuff to try and help you, get you a break away from stuff like we're doing. But the stuff that we're doing is the majority of what your average influencer is doing. Like that's what that's that's how bodybuilding is done. The distractions and the easy way of doing things, they're only supposed to be utilized every now and again as a break from the basics. So um, yeah, just bear that in mind when you're putting together your your preps. But uh, yeah, Ollie, it's been about an hour, so I'm gonna. I think we could talk for a lot longer, but I think this will make for great content. So we're gonna call it there. Yes, but, uh, yeah, and I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, awesome, man. Thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed that chat. I think people will get a lot from it. Awesome, mate. Thanks for having me. As always, I'll catch you soon. All right. I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>